Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Andy. I get the privilege this morning of coming before you and um, laying the word before you from 2 Samuel chapter 8 is where we'll be at. If this is your first time joining with us, thank you so much um, for choosing to be with us this morning. Uh, We do have some Bibles in the back if you'd like. If you don't have a Bible with you, we also have a couple more of those uh, journal Bibles that are back there that are just First and Second Samuel. It gives you the, the Scripture on one side and blank on the other side that you can jot, jot notes on those. Those are back there for you as well. So I would encourage you to, to grab one of those. We are walking through the book of Second Samuel. We've been there for several weeks now, and we'll continue to work through the book of Second Samuel. And so this is where we are. And so it feels like in some ways, like Joe really built up last week's chapter, right? Like one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible, and now chapter 8. So I'm not sure how to step into that. I don't want to compare. I don't want to contrast. I want to say that all Scripture is God-breathed, and all of it is important, and all of it is good. But I would have to agree with Pastor Joe that 2 Samuel 7 is a very crucial, important passage in all of Scripture, not just 2 Samuel, but in all of Scripture— to help us understand God and his promises and how he acts towards people and this promise that he gives to David is, is very essential. Um, as Pastor Joe said last week, I agree wholeheartedly. If you only had a few chapters to read in the Bible, 2 Samuel 7 should be one of those chapters to give you a sense of what the Bible teaches and what God is doing. And But the Bible doesn't end at 2 Samuel 7. It continues on. The story of David continues to move forward in 2 Samuel 8. And so 2 Samuel 8, as we look into this, is David living in the promise. So now that you've been given this promise, now that we see this promise given to David in chapter 7, now what is the question? What do we do with this amazingly gracious, overwhelming promise that has been given to David? Right? This promise in chapter 7 was that God said, I will give you a great name, a name that will be known forever, a name that will be known across the land, that nations will know that David, you are king, and your family is king and will be reigning. I'm going to give you a place. The people that have wandered for so long and been going from one place to the next, I'm going to give my people a place and a place to rest, a place to rest from their enemies. If you've read, read the Old Testament, it is seemingly one battle after another. One fight after another. One enemy coming and trying to destroy the nation of Israel after another. And God promises David, I will give you rest from your enemies. I will give you an eternal kingdom. Not just a kingdom that will last for a few years or even for a few generations, but will last forever and ever. And God promises David and Solomon that I will not take my steadfast love from you. That even when you sin, even when you disappoint, even when you don't do what I'm asking you to do, I will show grace and mercy to you, and I will not remove my steadfast love from you. What an amazing promise, right? There's a part of it that you want to say, amen, thank you, Jesus, close your Bible and move on, right? There's, there's not a lot more after that that we can need. And we look at this promise, and we look at this thing that David has been given, and we ask the question, now what? Right? We've literally been given the keys to the kingdom of God. We've literally been given the the greatest promise that we can even begin to imagine, and we have to ask the question now what? It's like Charlie, right, and Charlie and the the Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, right? He's given the keys to the chocolate factory, and I can imagine giving those keys and saying, what do I do with this? What do I do with this incredible gift that I don't deserve? What do I do with all of these contraptions and all of these things that I have not built and all of these wonderful things? What in the world do I do with this? And we see David in chapter 8— 
stepping into that promise and answering the question, what do we do with the promise? What do we do with this promise that God has given to us, that he will honor us, that he will give us rest from our enemies, that there is a home waiting for us, that even when we disappoint, even when we disobey, that God's steadfast love will not be removed from us. What do we do with that? How do we step into that? This morning in 2 Samuel chapter 8, I want to look at this promise and that God has given us this promise. But the question of what do we do while we wait for the promise to be fully realized? Because this wasn't a promise to David and God snapped his fingers and then immediately everything was realized. There was a, a process. There's still a process. The promise has not yet been fully understood and fully brought in. And God hasn't called us to sit back and to watch. God has called us to actively pursue the victories that have been secured for us in the promise. For our sake, for the sake of the nations, and for the sake of the glory of God. And so we step into obedience. How do we live in the promise? We step into obedience. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 8. Let's see what David does after getting this immense, incredible promise in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 8 begins like this. And after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methekamah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betza and from Barathel, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom throughout all Edom. He put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zerui, and over the army of Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahulah, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests. And Sarai was secretary, and Benai, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. We see in this chapter David now living out the promise. 
And again, with chapters like this, I think we're tempted at times to get to chapter 7, and then we get to chapter 8, which seems like just a list of things that David did, a list of his cabinet, if you will. And it feels tempting for us to keep going, to just kind of flip by this and say, well, that was a lot of information, and now I know those things, and I can move on to something a little more exciting or something a little more applicable to us. But I think it's important that we read this passage of Scripture, we rest in this passage of Scripture, we wrestle with this as we see David coming out of the promise and how he is living that out. I want to share with you three things if you're following along. I have notes there in front of you if you'd like to follow along with me. Um, three things this morning I want to share with you from 2 Samuel 8. First, we fight from the promise for the promise. We fight from the promise for the promise We're going to look at commit your rewards to the Lord. Commit your rewards to the Lord. And finally, we're going to look at live out your calling. Live out your calling. But first this morning, we're going to look at fight from the promise for the promise. As we see multiple times in chapter 8, at the very beginning even of chapter 8, it starts with these words, after this. And so the this is the promise that David just received in chapter 7. After this— David defeated. And we see again in verse 2, and he defeated. And in verse 3, David also defeated. Verse 5, David struck down. Verse 13, David returned from striking down. We see very quickly that David gets into the practice of fulfilling the promise. That he recognizes God has given me these people. He has given me this land. He has given me this name. And I'm going to take what God has given to me. He steps into victory immediately. Immediately. David is not passive. David just doesn't simply receive the promise and sit back on his throne and say, all right, everything is done now. I've accomplished everything. God has given me everything. I'm just going to sit back and watch as my people worship me, as my land grows, as my uh, posterity grows, as all of those things grow. I'm just going to sit back and wait. David doesn't do that, does he? David immediately gets to work. He immediately steps into the promise and says, because this is true, because God has promised these things to me, I can obey God with confidence. I can step into active obedience. He is actively stepping into the promise. You see, the reality is, as we look at David, as he received this promise from God in chapter 7, an undeserved promise from God. Remember, David was trying to build a house for God, said, oh, that's cute of you. Isn't that really nice of you to try to build me a house? I don't need a house. I am God. I own all of it. But in this, God reminds even David in that, listen, you were a shepherd. You're nothing. I brought you out of this and placed you on this throne, this incredibly gracious promise that was given to David, undeserved by David, this promise graciously given to him. And we see this promise, what is very clear to us, what we need to see in our own lives is that gracious promises lead to active obedience. If we truly understand the grace that has been shown to us, if we truly understand the power that has been given to us, the undeserved merit and favor that has been shown to us, it will never, it will never result in laziness. When we truly understand God's grace, when we truly begin to wrap our head around the bigness of what God has given to us, we will get to work. We will be obedient to what God has called us to do. Not to earn the favor, but in response or in thankfulness for the favor that God has given to us. 
And we see David stepping into that right away, do we not? It's a gracious gift given to him, immediately being obedient. David defeating, David defeating, David defeating, over and over again, standing in the promise and not waiting for armies to come to him and surrender, but going to the armies that were against God and taking them over for the glory of God. You see that everything that got in Israel's way to fulfill the promise, David stepped into and said, no. You will not get in the way of this promise. You will not distract my people from this promise. I will defeat anyone who steps in the way of the glory of God and tries to take what God has promised from us. As we take that and we kind of take it to our own lives as well, and we see the promise that God has given to us in Jesus. We see the promise of eternal life. We see the promise of glory. We see the promise of victory in our lives as well. And if we understand that graciousness, we will step into obedience as well. If we step into that graciousness, we will also, like David, seek to destroy, to get rid of anything in our lives that gets in the way of that promise, that distracts us from that promise, any enemy of the promise of God, any sin, any temptation, any, anything at all that takes us away from focusing on God and receiving the promise, we ought to step into that as well and make war. Now, I think for us, the application isn't a one-for-one application. I really don't want to hear about you coming next week and said, I listened to your message and I killed 22,000 men this week. Thank you for that. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm doing exactly what David did. I killed a bunch of horses too. All kinds of stuff. I had a really productive week this week. It's not at all the application that we take from this. What we see in the Old Testament, what we see in these acts of war, what we see in this land are are spiritual implications. That the enemies that came against David and the Philistines and the Moabites and the Edomites and all of those, they pale in comparison to the enemy that wants to destroy you to the sin that wants to destroy you, to the disobedience that wants to destroy you, to the deceiver, the evil one that wants to destroy you. They pale in comparison to that. But God has called us similarly to step just like David because of the gracious promise that he has given to us to step in to saying, I will defeat any enemy that gets in my way. By God's strength, by God's power, I will destroy anything that is keeping me from this, this promise being fulfilled in my life. And so my question for you is, what is troubling you? What is tempting you? Who are the Edomites in your life? The Moabites in your life? The Philistines in your life? The thing that keeps coming back again and again and distracting you and discouraging you and trying to tear your focus away from the Lord? With his power and with his strength, he wants you to destroy those things. You see, we're fighting an unbelievably strong enemy that is determined to destroy us. And in our own strength, and our own abilities, these battles are far too much from us. We look at Psalm chapter 60. This is a psalm that was written right about the same time that David was fighting all of these battles that we see in 2 Samuel 8. Psalm 60, David says, Oh, grant us help against the foe. For vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. And so I want to be very clear again this morning from 2 Samuel 8, that though we see in David this tenacity to fight against his enemies, to be obedient, to step into the promise, and though I'm calling us to step into our promise and to be uh, tenacious in, in destroying evil in our lives, I want to be very, very clear It is not you that fights the battles. 
It is not you that secures the victories. It is God. We do see this in chapter 8. We do see David defeated and David defeated, David subdued, and all of those things. But two times in 2 Samuel 8, we see the same sentence repeated that is crucial to 2 Samuel 8. In verse 6, it says, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Verse 14, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Spiritual success in defeating our enemies lies in being kept by God, by recognizing it is God who fights our battles for us and through us and with us. It is God who secures the victory. It is God who defeats our enemies. And what we see in this passage of Scripture, these victories that David is securing for himself, they're they're typical for us as well. The promises that we have in Christ, the promises that Jesus gives us that you will see victory over sin. You will see victory over temptation. You will see victory over those past things that you struggle with. Victory is secured and it will come. We see that fulfilled in Jesus and with the fulfillment of those things that we see in David. And we fight those battles with the victory already won and the strength of the one who has secured the victory. We see again in Psalm chapter 37, this tension between these two things. Psalm 37, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. You see, we have been called into obedience. We've been given this promise of God as those who are in Jesus. This promise of forgiveness, this promise of victory, this promise of joy. We have been called to step into obedience. We've been called into a battle that in and of our own strength is impossible and overwhelming. That we cannot do it. But we've also been called into this battle just like David with God. We repeat it again. And when anything is repeated in the Bible, stop and go back and read it again. Because the author is trying to drive a point home. And twice, this exact word-for-word sentence is proclaimed in 2 Samuel 8. It is the Lord who gave victory to David wherever he went. When we see and we step into this and we struggle with the things and we we struggle with temptation and we fall and and we, we think it's never going to end and it just feels overwhelming and life just seems to beat us up day after day after day and things keep coming at us wave after wave punishing us again and again and we think to ourselves, it is too hard, it's too difficult, it's too big, I can't step into this, I can't see victory in this. Remember the words of Psalm 37, that God says that he will be with you. He will not forsake you. That God upholds your hand. When you are fighting, you are fighting with the hand that God is upholding and strengthening. The one who is behind you in all things. We see this tension, if you will, these two things that seem to not fit together. The promises of God, the grace of God, and our obedience— right? It feels like at times like our obedience doesn't seem to matter. Like, what am I really doing here? Or it feels like at times I'm taking too much credit or God's taking too much credit. Or if I'm really obedient, is it God's doing the work? How does all of those things work together? How do they fit together? How does God's promises and my obedience fit together? It fits together in this way that when we step into these things, when we struggle with life and the difficulties and the temptations and the enemies come at us, 
Here's my encouragement to you this morning as we look back for a second and we look forward. We look back on what God has done. We look back on the promise. And so in chapter 8, you can only imagine when David is in the middle of these battles, he looks back at chapter 7 looks back at the promises of God, remembers what God has promised him, looks forward to the promises of God of what is to come, and he keeps fighting. And he keeps stepping into the next battle. So for us, whatever you're struggling with this morning, whatever you're walking into this morning, whatever enemy is coming against you this morning, look back for a moment. Remember the promises of God. Remember how you got this far. Remember the goodness of God to this point. And then take a moment and look forward and say the, the future is still to come. The bigger, better, fuller, the best is yet to come. And so I can keep moving forward in this moment. I've recently got into running and when you haven't run for a long time and you start running again, it is the worst thing. You want to die immediately. Especially when you're way overweight and you're saying, I am way out of shape and it's, this is dumb. Running is stupid. We're only meant to run from bears in two buffets. That's the only reason we running is in existence. And when you're running and you're starting to get back into this habit again, there are, there, there's a trick that you kind of do with your own mind to keep you taking the next step. At least for myself, this helps me. When I'm in the middle of a run and I just want to quit, I remember two things. I do two things. One, I kind of remember where I am in the moment. I think, oh, I have gotten this far. I didn't think I could get this far. I didn't want to come this far, but I have gotten this far. So I've gotten to this point already. There has been enough strength to get me to this point and moment. And then I pick a spot, usually not too far out in front of me, and I think to myself, if I can just get there, maybe 50 feet in front of me, maybe 50 yards in front of me. But if I can just get there, and then I get to that spot, and I pick another spot out in front of me. And then I find myself done with my run. And in this, I think for us, as we walk through the Christian life, we're going through some really hard things. All of us, in some way or another, are going through some really hard things. And some of you are thinking this morning, I just, I can't take another step. I can't move forward. I can't do the thing God is asking me to do. It is too big. I can't do it. I want you to take a moment today, take some time away, take some quiet, whatever you can do, and just reflect and just ask the question, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? It wasn't you. It wasn't your strength. It was the goodness and the graciousness of God that got you to this point. And then look at the scriptures. It says, here are the promises of God. Here's what's waiting for you. Here's what is ahead of you. And fix your eyes on what is ahead of you and take the next step. And take the next step. And this is living from the promise for the promise. This is fighting from the promise. This is true. This is what God has done for me. These are the things that God has said about me. This is how he's gotten me this far. I will fight because God has promised these things to me. And I will fight for the promise because it's worth it in the end. Because what God has promised me in the end is worth it. I will fight from the promise for the promise. And we see David fought. God was given the victory. And David kept fighting until victory was fulfilled. And the same thing for us. Fight. God will give you the victory. And don't stop fighting until the fullness of the promise is fulfilled. Even if the fullness of the promise is your death. Don't stop fighting. God will fulfill everything he promises to you. Secondly, this morning, 
Not only do we fight from the promise for the promise, but we commit your rewards to the Lord. We commit the things that God has given to us. And we see David is victorious over and over again. He defeated, he defeated, he defeated. And what comes with defeating enemies? The spoils of war. Everything that they have is now yours, right? That's what comes in defeating our enemy. We see in verses 7 through 8, David defeated an enemy and he took the shields of gold from that enemy. We see in verses 10 through 12 that Joram came and brought with with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. And I love that this king sent Joram, and I love this, like, to check on David's health and to see what's up. I love that statement of just like this seeing David defeating everyone, and this king just comes in and it's like, hey, just want to see, feeling good, everything cool, here's a bunch of stuff, don't kill us. Like, I love that about this in this particular, in this passage. And he gives all of these things, silver and gold, and he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom and Moab and the Ammonites and the Philistines and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. We see in this amazing thing is that David, from his battles, from his victories, is receiving spoils from the war. Receiving gold and silver and all of these things that were coming from the war. And David, in his humility, at least in this moment, I, every time we preach on David, we have to say, at least in this chapter. So at least in this chapter, David is giving honor to God and remembering his God. In giving back to God all that God has given to him. David is struck with humility in this moment. David recognizes that it is God who is giving him the victory. And David dedicates all of the spoils of the war, all of the victories of the war to the Lord. That everything God has given to him, David is saying, it is not mine, it is yours. I give it back to you for your service, for your privilege, at your prerogative, whatever you want to use this for, it is yours. And David walks in humility, and it's the right response, isn't it? When we see in this chapter David defeating and defeating and defeating over and over again, it would be absurd of David in that moment to start patting himself on the back and say, look at all of the great things that I have done. Look at all the victories that I have secured. Look at all the land that I have secured. Look at all the wonderful things that I have done. Look at all that I have done. It's absurd, right? When God is clearly giving the victory, when God is clearly blessing David, it is the right response of David to say it is God to do this. It is absurd for us. When God gives us victory, when God helps us in our lives, when God restores us, when God redeems us, when God changes our circumstances, it is absurd for us to take even an ounce of credit for what God is doing in our lives. But I think too often I'm going to give a very dated reference. So there's about 10% of you around my age that's going to get this reference. The rest of you can either talk to your grandpa or your grandkids. I don't know how it works, but... In the 90s, there was an amazing band that hit the charts called Millie Vanilli, right? Everybody knows who Millie Vanilli is. Great singers, great dancers, amazing group in the 90s. And the Millie Vanilli, this group, was so great, they even received a Grammy, one of the highest rewards in music, for their amazing singing abilities. And they went out on the stage and they thanked everyone for this Grammy, for the hard work that they put into this and for how difficult it was. And they walked off stage and said, thank you to all of those things. But comes to find out that Millie Vanilli had been lip syncing the entire time. Somebody else was singing for them. 
It was not their voice. It was not their work. It was someone else's work. And I think many times in our own lives as well, we're milly vanilli. And we walk up on the stage of life and we thank everyone. I've worked so hard for this. I've done so many things. I've sacrificed so much. I really deserve this. Thank you so much for this. And we walk off the stage and God has been our voice the entire time. And I think the reality of what I see in David's life is that David recognizes very clearly it is God who has done this for me. He has given me these gifts and I want to give these things back to him. And the great thing about this, we see these dedicated these things. And again, it seems insignificant. When you read 2 Samuel 8 and we see that silver and gold and you see all those kind of things listed, it seems really insignificant. And you want to get through that as quickly as you can to something more exciting, more battles, more horses, whatever it is. You want to get to those kinds of things. But it's very significant that David dedicates these things. Because not only is David being blessed by these things, David, by dedicating these things to the Lord, is blessing the next generation. And by blessing the next generation, he is blessing all nations. Here's what I mean by that. 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51. Does David build the temple of God? He does not. Solomon, his son, builds the temple of God. First Kings picks that up. Thus, all the work that Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated. The silver, the gold, and the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. David was blessed by God, dedicated those gifts to the Lord. So Solomon was blessed by the Lord. When we are blessed by God, when God gives something to us and we give him the honor and we give him the praise back, the next generation of God is also blessed by that. And not only is the next generation blessed by that, we think about the temple of God. And the temple of God being brought in those things that were dedicated to the Lord, those things that David secured in his victory. We see in Isaiah 56 verses 6 to 7. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples." That God is saying, I have blessed David. David has been blessed and blesses Solomon. Solomon is blessed so that the nations will be able to have a place to come and to worship and to pray to God. And so it's vital to us when God blesses us, when God encourages us to not take credit for that. To dedicate those things back to the Lord. To point to him as the one who is worthy and does all of those things so that we can see others being blessed by that. We are not simply blessed for us. Yes, it is true. God wants to bless us. But he wants to bless us so that through us, others will be blessed. So that through us, the next generation will be blessed. So that through us, the nations will hear. And how do the nations know the worthiness of God? When we as his people say, it was not us, it was God who secured the victory. It was God who did this for us. So my question for us is, what are you doing this morning with what God has given to you? With the blessings that he has given to you, with the the equipping that God is giving to you, with the intelligence or the talents or whatever it is that God has given to you, are you dedicating those things to the Lord or are you squandering them for yourself? 
Are you keeping them to yourself? Or are you too afraid to use them because you might lose them? We see the story of the talents, right? With Jesus, the, the one has one and hides it because he's afraid of losing that. The one has two and multiplies that. Another has five and multiplies that. And the one who has one and hides it is, is basically cursed by God and say, you are unfaithful in this. And those that use those gifts were blessed by God and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. God has given us calling on our lives to, to dedicate things to him, to, to honor him with our lives. Finally, this morning, what we see in David is this idea that we must live out our calling. To live out our calling, we live, we fight from the promise. We give back to the Lord, commit to him all that is his, and then we live out our calling. What is it that God has specifically and uniquely called you to do? We see in verse 15, so David reigned over Israel. And David administered justice and equity to all of his people. David was the king he was supposed to be. Again, at least in chapter 8, David was the king he was supposed to be. He was living out his calling. There was justice. There was equity. There was generosity. There was glory to God being done. David was living out his calling. And at least in this moment, David is doing exactly what God has called him to do. You see, for us as well, God has given us a calling. And not only does David fulfill his calling, but he places leaders in place to fulfill their calling. Those who are good at war, those who are good at administration, those who are priests. He sets all of them in their place to fulfill out their calling as well. And so that's the question I see from 2 Samuel chapter 8 that I'm challenged with in this chapter. What is it that God has uniquely called me to do? And am I fulfilling that calling? Am I stepping into that calling? Am I being obedient to that calling? Am I doing the thing that God has called me to do? Not what he called David to do. Not what he called my wife to do. Not what he called my kids to do or my neighbors to do or my pastor to do. But what has God called me to do? How many kings of Israel were there at this time? One. Right? But there were recorders and there were war people and there were all those other people doing other things, stepping into their role. And because they all served in the way God called them to, at least in chapter 8, Israel was doing well, at least in chapter 8. I got to hear that over and over again because we're going to flip pages very quickly and things are going to change here in the future. But we see them stepping into that and living out their calling. And so the big question is, what is our calling? What is my calling? And here's the answer to that question for all of us this morning. What is your calling? To love God, to love your neighbor, and make disciples. That's your calling on your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has called you to love him, to love your neighbor, and to make disciples of all nations. That's what he has called you to do. Now, that's going to look very different where you clock in and clock out. It's going to look very different day in and day out for all of us. That calling is going to be worked out in different places, in different ways for all of us. But if you have the question, what is my calling? It is simply this. Love God, love your neighbor, make disciples of all nations. And some of us are living outside of our calling. Some of us are living lives that, and our disobedience to what God has called us to, are still floundering to what God has called us to. Let me do a quick experiment with us. Make sure you're still awake. I'm wrapping up. You're good. Quick experiment with us. Without thinking, some of you are already doing this, but without thinking, cross your arms for me. Don't think about it. Just do it. All right, look down at your arms right now and take note of which arm is on top. Are you a left arm on top kind of person or are you a right arm on top kind of person? Just look at it. Don't move your arms yet, but just do that. Now, switch arms. 
feels really weird, doesn't it? It does not feel right. It feels out of place. This is wrong. I don't like this. I should not be like this kind of thing. This is some of us are living our lives this way. Where we have been clearly saying, God has given us a calling. God has given us a way to live out our lives. A way that that we are to be obedient to him. But there are some of us who are still kind of floundering and still trying to figure that out. And I want to encourage you and challenge you in this this morning is to look to Jesus to see what is it that he's asking you to do. What is it he is calling you to do right now in this season of life? Not for the rest of your life, because your seasons are going to change, but right now in this season of life, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as a worker, whatever it is, what has God called you uniquely to do in this moment and say, God, give me victory in what you've called me to do. Help me to live out the calling that you have placed on my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This passage is about marriage, but it tells us something very clear. God has laid on your life a very clear calling, a very clear path. And so the scriptures tell us to walk in that path. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Be faithful to who God has made you. Be faithful to what God has given you to do. Be faithful to that. And how do we do that? We do it from the promise for the promise. I live out my calling because God has promised me he will be with me. God has promised me he will give me victory. God has promised me that he will make me a glorious and a great name for myself. God has promised me these things. And so I live that out in my life. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see David living out his calling. And so as we close this morning and kind of think through what it is that God is calling you to do, my encouragement again to you this morning is simply this. Don't stop fighting. Do not stop fighting. Step into obedience. Step into the grace that God has called and placed on your life and step into obedience, fighting from the promise for the promise. And every time God gives you victory, every time you make one step forward, give honor and praise to God because it is him who is giving the victory. And humbly look to God and say, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? How can I fulfill my calling in my life right here and right now? As the music team comes forward, we're going to close our time. We're going to have a time where we take the Lord's Supper this morning. And it's important for us as we step into the Lord's Supper to remind us again, as we look at 2 Samuel 8, that our model is not ultimately David. Our example is not ultimately David. David was not meant to be the end of the story. David was not meant to be the hero of the story. All of this points forward to Jesus. Jesus has secured this victory for us. Jesus has fought every single enemy and has defeated every single enemy. Jesus has secured these things for us. Jesus has accomplished all of those things. Jesus was faithful to the very end of the promise and fulfilled the promise and received the promise by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And so we take the Lord's Supper this morning as a reminder to us, again, as we look back in 2 Samuel, I want this phrase to go through your head as we take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord gave, whatever your name is, victory wherever you went. And God gave victory wherever you went. As we take the Lord's Supper and remember 
that it was Jesus's body shed for us. It was his blood shed for us. He was broken for us. He secured the victory for us. This gracious promise has been given to us. And we take the Lord's Supper remembering what he has done for us and taking a step of obedience saying, I will obey you until I see your face. I will continue to strive and fight until I see your face. Until the very end, I will continue to strive and do that. As you think about the Lord's Supper again, this is for those who are consider themselves followers of Jesus, who have placed their faith in Jesus and says, Jesus, I I trust in your life and in your death and in your resurrection to be all that I needed. I'm giving myself fully to you. If you have not yet made that decision and not yet understood the fullness of what God has given to you, then we ask that you pass. It's not for you this morning. It's not a matter of judgment or condemnation on our part, but we want you to understand what it is that you're doing this morning before doing it. If you have a kid with you this morning, a couple of different things with your kids. One, if they know Jesus and they're following him um, with joy in your hearts, do the Lord's Supper with them. Um, if their faith is in line with repentance, enjoy that time with them. If your kid has not yet made a decision to follow Christ, take this moment and explain to them what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it's important for them to think through this same decision as well. So if you would stand with us, we're going to sing this song as the elements are being passed out and I'll come back in just a moment.